8.46 and, uh, well, it is the signal to head into the world of science and technology. A weekly pleasure with Mark Zastro. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. And we're going to be talking about whether there could be underwater life on Saturn's moon, a new solar-powered device pulling water out of thin air, and why do our shoelaces come undone so often? Even when you've tied it up a couple of minutes earlier, you thought it was all sealed and that was your shoe sorted for the next couple of hours. Um, Mark's going to have the explanation for you, but uh, Mark, let's start with Saturn's moon. How do you pronounce this? It's called Enceladus. Enceladus. So, Mm -hmm. uh, let alone the question of whether there's life on Saturn, uh, it would be remarkable if they can discover life anywhere, really, uh, when we're talking about that far out. That's right. And in fact, this moon, Enceladus, is one of the prime locations that scientists are targeting in the search for life beyond Earth. Uh, you know, it's interesting because usually we think of, you know, when we think about looking for alien life, we think about looking in exoplanets on, you know, in other star systems or maybe digging through the dirt on Mars to find microbes. But these little moons, which are basically ice balls in the outer solar system around Jupiter and Saturn, they're some of the most promising places for life because underneath their icy crusts, we think that many of them actually have entire oceans of liquid water. And so this one, Enceladus, it's, it, it really is a little ice ball. It's just 500 kilometers across. But we can actually see geysers shooting through cracks in the ice. Uh, pictures from NASA's Cassini spacecraft taken about 10 years ago show the water just spewing out into space. And so Cassini can fly through this plume and basically sample this ocean. And so over the years, we've actually learned quite a bit about it. Uh, for instance, we know that it is salty just like Earth's oceans. And that's exciting because it means that this isn't just groundwater. The salt has to be coming from contact with a rocky core at the core of the moon. So that means it actually has a sea floor. Uh, And that's exciting because if you have rocks and minerals at the bottom of the ocean, you have the potential for some interesting chemistry and perhaps biology, perhaps life. That's all fascinating speculation, but what was it that was so exciting about last week's announcement? Uh, So the big news here is that scientists have discovered a very interesting chemical signature in this plume. Uh, It's not just made up of water molecules, but there are also hydrogen molecules. And that's actually pretty strange because hydrogen as a gas is very, very light, right? It's the lightest element in the universe. And Enceladus is so small and its gravity is so weak that according to theory, there shouldn't be any hydrogen left. It should have just floated away into space a long time ago. Uh, But there's so much hydrogen there in that plume that scientists have concluded it must be bubbling up from deep inside the moon. And the best explanation for that is that there are actually hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean, just like on Earth's own seafloor. And that's really exciting because it means there's a heat source down at the bottom of the ocean. And that's a source of energy for life, for microorganisms. Uh, and, and hydrogen molecules, they're actually a very good source of food for a lot of organisms. Uh, some scientists have made the analogy that this is basically like getting to take a calorie count of Enceladus's ocean. And the results are that there is plenty of food there. It basically seals the deal that this really is a habitable environment uh, right now. You know, it's not, we're not talking about something that may have been there millions of years ago, like on Mars. We're talking right now. There could be life down there. How could we conclusively find out? 
Well, so NASA is doing some feasibility studies of sending a, a probe to sort of drill through the ice on these kinds of moons to get down into that ocean. Uh, but that would be very, very expensive, several billion, maybe tens of billions of dollars. And for a fraction of that cost, you could just send another spacecraft with better instruments back to that plume. Uh, the Cassini spacecraft was not designed to search for life. I mean, the scientists had no idea that they would be looking for signs of life uh, from Saturn's orbit. So a spacecraft with specialized equipment to search for the chemical signatures of life could potentially answer this question. Well, back to Earth and a a double plus, really, for those concerned for the environment, a solar-powered device pulling water out of thin air, as they described it. That's right. So this is a device that uh, it collects moisture from the air using basically a highly advanced sponge. Uh, now, of course, there are already uh, several ways to, you know, conventional ways to collect moisture from the air. You can try to collect dew, but that's not that efficient. You can use a dehumidifier to collect condensation, but that takes a lot of electricity. Well, you just have to sit in Korea in the summer and it just pours down the windows, Mark. Right. Well, <laughs> and so that, that's one way to go about it. But scientists at MIT have found a way to really speed up this process with this, what is inc- basically an incredibly advanced sponge that can absorb moisture directly from the air. And it's made out of a material that scientists call a metal organic framework. And it's actually a crystalline material, but it acts like a sponge because it has very, very fine pores, nanometer scale pores. And inside them, it's able to wick water right out of the air, even in dry desert air, where normal condensation methods wouldn't work very well. Yes, where you certainly don't need a dehumidifier. Exactly. So this sponge soaks up the water from the air, and then to extract it, they simply leave it out in the sun in uh, an enclosed container, basically a normal solar dew collector. And so the solar heat evaporates it and it recondenses, but it's, it's much more efficient because this fancy sponge is saturated with water. To be meaningful though, we've got to be collecting a significant amount of water. How much are we talking about here? Well, so based on the performance of their prototype, the scientists think that one, one kilogram of this material can harvest almost three liters of water every day. So that's a, a fairly substantial amount of water, especially when you consider that it doesn't need you know, any electricity. So it, it could make a significant difference in a lot of places around the world. And if you think about it, there actually is a vast amount of water in the atmosphere. It's really an untapped resource. The amount of water vapor and fine water droplets in the atmosphere is about 10% of all the freshwater lakes in the world. You know, and, it's, and it's right there. It's around us all the time. So this could be a very useful device. Would it have to be purified, I wonder? Well, it, it, directly from the air, well, it, it, it may depend. But Where you are. You, yeah. But uh, in most cases, probably not. Well, and finally, let's talk about a question that we may not have needed an answer to, but scientists have got an answer to it anyway. And this is perhaps the best area of science, uh, at least for curious minds. Why do our shoelaces come undone? That's right. So a team of researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, have taken on this challenge and conducted extensive testing of the knot that most of us use to tie our shoes and and how that knot fails. Uh, Now, 
beyond the fact that this is something that you know affects almost all of us and and sometimes quite frequently it is an interesting scientific question because the knot usually fails so suddenly as you alluded to right one minute you're walking down the street without any cares in the world and then suddenly they're undone and and, and, and on the contrary you could have a same pair of shoes that you just slip on every day and they've had the same knot in them for weeks right and and so th- this team actually they they used a, a variety of methods here to study this question they used pendulums with uh, <laughs> knots on them to simulate your legs swinging back and forth and then they actually put high-speed cameras on treadmills to capture the moment of shoelaces coming undone and what they found basically is that you know the knot comes undone because of a combination of two things. One is the impact of your foot on the ground, loosening up the knot. And then the other fact is the free end of the laces are whipping back and forth as your legs are swinging, Um, and it pulls them out. Yeah, for me, there's two ways, the single knot or the double knot, the latter being more effective. But uh, this study teaches us the best ways. That's right. So there's actually, without even having to do the double knot, there is another variation on the normal uh, single knot that most of us use. And scientists who study the topology of knots, they refer to these as the strong and the weak variations of this knot. And most (laughs) of us are taught the weak variation. And the way you can tell is that uh, if the loops of your shoelaces tend to lie across your shoes horizontally, uh, that's that's probably the weak variation. Guilty as charged right now. In the strong variation, your laces will tend to lie vertically up and down your shoe. So if you want to switch to the strong variation, uh, what you do is when you make that last loop and you pull the laces around, uh, you need to go the other way around. So if you've got you know, a loop of your laces in one hand, you actually want to pull the other lace around the back of the loop, back across the front, and it actually feels a little bit unnatural, but the scientists tested this, and they actually demonstrated that it is, in fact, much stronger. It's like being taught you've been uh, swinging a golf club wrong your whole life, and then you get shown the right way to do it, and it feels so unnatural. Mm-hmm. Eventually, apparently, is the best way, although I never mastered that one. I'll give it a go. I guess, yeah, it reduces the swing and the friction on the laces, <laughs> the idea of them being placed vertically. Might look a bit odd, though. It, it, it it's may. a fashion statement as well. It Let's may. face it, Mark. Uh, you'll have to look into the science of fashion next time for us. <laughs> Mark Zastro, science journalist, teaching us about everything from possible life on one of Saturn's moons to why your laces come undone. That's the beauty of this segment on a Tuesday morning. And we'll continue on Wednesday morning at 7.05. But stay with us right now for the latest edition of Careerscape after your news headlines.